Hey, and welcome to today's podcast. Today is a special podcast. I have with us Jeff Goins. And if you haven't heard about Jeff, he has written some amazing books. He's written a book called Wrecked, When a Broken World Slams into Your Comfortable Life. The In-Between, which is a great book, Embracing the Tension Between Now and the Next Big Thing. Uh, You are a writer, so start acting like one. And his most recent book, The Art of Work, A Proven Path to Discovering What You Were Meant to Do. So, hey, Jeff, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Jonathan. Awesome. Well, I am super excited about just having this discussion because this is such a relevant discussion for so many people. And for those of you that are tuning in, maybe you haven't heard yet, Jeff's got a new book coming out. The Art of Work, A Proven Path to Discovering What You Were Meant to Do. And many of the listeners, you may know my story that, you know, before I jumped into blogging for a living, I was an executive recruiter and I spent 10 years uh, working with people that were in that job search mode and they would come sit down with me and describe to me what it is they wanted to do with their work and what, you know, the meaning they wanted to get out of it and from a guy who spent a lot of time uh, in that slice of life, I just want to say that I love The Art of Work. I think it's a great book for people. Um, regardless, I had somebody ask me the other day, Jeff, they're like, is this book uh, you know, ideal for someone who is a bit younger, a bit older? I feel like there's principles in there that's true for either one. And I think it's, impor- it's an important book, an important message right now. Because our work is changing a lot. Yeah. No, I, I agree, and thanks for saying that, Jonathan. And, you know, writing a book is funny because, like, you as the author, you want to say, well, it's for everybody because you want everybody to buy it. <laughs> but that's not helpful, right? Like, if somebody tells me my book is for everybody, I go, well, then, you know, like, I don't want a book for everybody. I want a book that's just for me. And uh, as as you know from reading the book, you know, basically I, I walk through these seven different stages of life, really, where you, at, you know, at different stages kind of understand uh, what work looks like and really what a calling looks like, you know, a deeper life's purpose and how you can kind of navigate that amidst all the other things going on in your life. But I think really the the ideas and the art of work and the path that uh, I describe, which is really just something that I felt like I stumbled upon and, you know, and, and you and I were talking offline about some of the things that you learned from being a career coach. And I don't feel like I invented these ideas. I feel like I just sort of uncovered them and they mm-hmm. certainly – you know, I've found that they resonate with other people and other, you know, those who have gone on the journey, you know, ahead of me and also, um, you know, people who have, like you, have heard lots and lots of people talking about, you know, discontent, you know, discontent with their careers or just mm-hmm. trying to figure things out. But really, I think it's it's a book about making sense of your life. Most people feel like they're living in some story that they don't fully understand. You know, I, I remember hearing uh, a speaker one time saying that life is like a movie that you walked into twenty minutes late. Like you don't you don't understand the conflict. The, you know you don't understand. You know there's you've missed all the exposition. So like where are we? What are we doing? And who, like what's my role here? And I, I think that's how we feel about our lives. And and what I argue is if you understand the path, you know. And and I love that analogy of you know I, if I see a path, I can I can understand where I should walk. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the while understanding that it's it's different from a plan. A plan is this neat, sanitized, perfect you know uh, process. A, a path is this thing that I got to go out and, and walk on. There's action required of me, but there's also 
there's a I can trust it because I see that it's a worn path that people before me have have walked on this path, and if I follow in in their footsteps, uh, I have a, a certain degree of uh, confidence that it's going to lead me somewhere where the you know these other people have ended up too. Yeah, that's so true. And you know, a lot of times on that path, it, it winds, it goes around the corner. We don't know what is coming. But you're right. We know it's a, a well-worn path and one that we can follow. Well, Jeff, a big buzzword in our culture today is calling. Mm-hmm. And, you know, within the book, you talk about that. But, you know, what does this word mean? Or how can we how can we help, you know, get our mind around this big, arduous word of calling? calling? I, th- I mean, you can use vocation. You can use purpose. I intentionally use that word to really define you know your life's purpose the reason that you were born um and uh and you know and i think we're all we're all talking this way especially about work you know i I very rarely hear especially my peers people in their 20s 30s 40s i rarely hear them talking about work as this means of you know making a living now i talk to people who love making money and i talk to people who don't care about it uh, but it's never just about making a living. It's about how can I make a living doing what I love? Uh, how can I do something that's meaningful, that matters? And we just were seeing so many people uh, either talk about their jobs uh, in a way where they they feel you know sort of discontented and frustrated, uh, or people actually you know act, taking action upon it and and you know leaving their careers, their safe, comfortable careers for something that's a, a bit more meaningful. I, I read a study that said 87% of the world's workers, so this isn't just like some American problem, 87% of the workers in the world um, s- responded to a poll saying that they were disengaged from their work. Uh, do all those 87, you know, 87% of the, of, of the population of the world, uh, you know, workforce, do they need to quit their jobs? No, I don't think so, but they do need to find their calling. They do need to understand what it is they were meant to do, how work fits into that, and, and also how it doesn't, you know, sometimes uh, fit into that. And for some, it'll mean, you know, um, making a significant shift from doing one kind of work to doing something else, as you and I have done. Uh, for others, it'll mean, just you know, understanding the purpose and the work that you're doing, and then even for others, it'll mean making a slight pivot, you know, an adjustment in the work that they're doing. Maybe moving from one department to another, uh, not just changing their perspective, but also you know, sort of tweaking the kind of work that they're doing. But 87% is a high number. That to me says something's wrong that we need to change. And I think it's mm-hmm. the the answer is this: that we need to find our way back to meaningful work, and that's what I try to talk about in the book. Yeah, that's so true. And, you know, I mean, we could talk about a lot, of course, in this discussion, but, you know, it was only like two months ago, I was sitting across from a guy and he was pouring his heart out to me. We were sitting in Panera Bread and he was talking about, you know, the nice house he had, the place where he was living um, was, it was a popular place uh, here in Florida. And if I mentioned it, you'd probably, most of the listeners would know what it was. And he was just, he looked over me and goes, Jonathan, I just... I honestly feel like I'm wearing golden handcuffs. That's how he described it to me. He's he's getting paid well to do something that just doesn't connect with him, doesn't resonate. He he wants something else for his life. And I think, you know, that's where I see a lot of people today is you're right. I mean, they're they're disengaged from their work and they feel somewhat stuck and trapped in that. And I think that's where this book can begin to reawaken them to what makes them most come alive. In, in fact, Jeff, in the book you talk about, 
when our interests connect with the needs of the world. We begin to live for that larger purpose. What's that larger purpose? And how is that proven to be true in your own life? So, you know, a, a calling is um, there's this uh, there's this connotation that you're being called and, you know, whether that is, um, you know, whether that's a spiritual connotation for you or or it's just this sense that you're being um, you're being drawn to something that's bigger than you. I mean, that's that's the idea that that I'm trying to describe here is that it's it's outside of you. It's it's not something it's not just about having the most successful life uh, because at the end of the day, that doesn't always um, – yeah, it's not the most uh, best way to be fulfilled. And uh, I had a conversation with a friend as, as well recently where she kept getting promoted at her job that she was sort of indifferent about. But she realized that even though she was indifferent, even though she was disengaged from her work, she was still doing a good job. Uh, and I, I can kind of relate to that. I was working a day job for seven years and – I initially loved it, and then as I got better and better at it, I, I got kind of bored with it. I never hated it. It wasn't like I hate my job. And I think I think a lot of times when we talk about this stuff, we paint this you know uh, dichotomous picture of work, like you're stuck in some cubicle and you hate it, or you're you know living your dream, living on an island. And I think both of those are myths. A lot of the times, most of, most of us feel like, yeah, I like my work, but you know, could I be doing more? And, and in my friend's case, she said. I feel like I'm succeeding at the wrong thing. It's not that I'm not succeeding. I'm, I'm doing great. I'm getting promotions. I'm getting raises. Uh, but but the more I do it, it starts to feel like you know what you described, Jonathan, those golden handcuffs. <clears throat> and so um, I think the best way to find your purpose is to f- find the things that you're doing that that you feel completely disconnected from, that you feel like you're succeeding at the wrong things. So um, I, I talk about in the book happiness, this idea that we all want to be happy, and it's not actually true. What we're searching for is not happiness, but as Viktor Frankl uh, writes in his book Man's Search for Meaning, hmm. we're looking for a reason to be happy. In other words, we're looking for meaning. If we think happiness is just about having a nice house or living on an island, uh, you know, there's a reason why there's this stereotype of people winning the lottery and then becoming depressed or people becoming instant millionaires and then you know uh just you know like like their lives get worse it, it's not that money or success are bad it's that that's not the point the point is meaning and and the the success and the money and the stuff that tends to follow that uh those are byproducts but the 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 target the treasure that we're going for is a meaningful life full of purpose and for me what that looks like and what i think it looks like for a lot of the stories i tell in the book is uh it needs to be a life that's uh, is not about you. Uh, it needs to be work that connects with you uh, in a fulfilling way. So it can't be just drudge work because you can do stuff that's not about you and you hate it and that's not fun. Uh, <laughs> it has to connect with your passion, which I love that you're such a champion about, uh, Jonathan. And then it has to be something that is kind of difficult. It's hard. You know, I mentioned if you're bored at work, that tends to lead to this complacency. Well, the best way to not be bored is to do something difficult. If it's too difficult, you become anxious. Uh, but if it's just challenging enough where you've got the competency to match it, you're in that state of flow uh, that psychologists talk about, which is, you know, basically they, they prove the, the the happiest state of a human being is to be in a state of flow. So I, I think when you think about purpose, you really think in terms of those three buckets. Uh, I need to be good at it. Uh, it needs to you know uh, align with my passion, and it needs to connect with the needs of other people. Yeah, and that's the trifecta right there. I mean, you guys just really 
you think about what Jeff just said is when you put all those pieces together, that's, that is when it's powerful. It's powerful because you become, become fully alive, but then you're also meeting the needs of other people. Uh, one of my favorite chapters in the book, Jeff, and I've underlined quite a bit here and there, but probably the chapter I underlined the most was you talking about pivot points. And um, I thought I'd just read a portion of this for the listeners because I think it's, it, it's so true, and I know it's been true for me. And on page 124, you say, A calling is not merely a moment. It's a lifestyle, a constant progression of submitting to a larger purpose. When you're first called, whether it comes as a whisper or a roar, what you hear is only part of the big picture, a shadow of something bigger. And then later you said, your life's work is not a single event, but a process you are constantly perfecting, finding new ways to put your passion to work. And you do that one pivot at a time. And I think that it may be because it resonates with my own story, Jeff, but you know, looking back, I can see it's so much easier looking back to kind of put the pieces together. And it's difficult uh, for us looking forward. But looking back, it's like, it seems like it's at times my journey has seemed disconnected when I was making those pivots. But looking back, I can see how all those different things led to where I am today. You know, like when I first got out of college, I was a high school teacher for three years. And I spent three years learning about standing in front of a classroom, motivating kids, you know, teaching them, instructing them, helping them to take the steps. And even though it wasn't an exact fit for me, what I get to do today is to teach others through this, you know, blogging and the the courses that I have. And it's like that was an important piece of the the process for me. But maybe just spend a moment and talk about pivot points and why they are important for us as we're moving towards finding that work that we were meant to do. Yeah, I, I love that. I mean, I, 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 the thing about your story, Jonathan, uh, is um, that's the norm. But we don't talk about it that way. We talk about success. We talk about these people who have arrived, you know, as and we know that's a myth. You know that's a myth. I know that's a myth. But people listening to this are going, I'm waiting to arrive, you know. And I felt that way. You don't arrive. Uh, but I do think there's a point at which, you know, you're wandering around in, in the forest somewhere just trying to find your way. You feel you feel lost. I certainly uh, felt like that for, uh, you know, a decade of my life. And uh, and then you d- you find this path, and then you start walking on the path, and there's a sense of confidence, and as you said, there's twists and turns, and um, you know it you don't necessarily end up where you thought you would end up, but you you walk on this well worn path of you know following in others' footsteps, and you you're confident that it's a journey that's going to take you uh, somewhere. Now, what I think is interesting is all these twists and turns when we're experiencing them, we feel like they're taking us off the path. Right, we think the path is straight. It's a straight shot. Uh, like my, the way that I get to my goal in life, to finding my passion, living my dream, discovering my calling, whatever you want to call it, is I, you know, I. It's a plan, right? Like I do A, B, C, and then I, I get there. And it's it doesn't work that way. Uh, but a lot of times we look at successful people and we think, you know, that they have somehow succeeded in spite of their failure, right? We look at Michael Jordan, you know, not making the varsity team, getting, you know, cut or whatever. We look at Steve Jobs getting fired from his own company and we go, wow, it's so great that they succeeded in spite of their failure, that they somehow found a way to bounce back. 
But that's not true. We're missing the point when we say that. But what Michael Jordan and Steve Jobs and Jonathan Milligan and uh, Mother Teresa and all these people uh, did was they didn't succeed in spite of their failure. They succeeded because of it. Uh, Michael Jordan learned invaluable lessons. Uh, there's, a, there's a great passage about this uh, in a book called Mindset by Carol Dweck, which I talk about in the, in the book because really I think you can't find your calling if you don't have the right mindset. And uh, she talks about how Michael Jordan came home, kind of was complaining to his mom about um, you know getting cut from the team, and she's and she said he was just gonna give up. And she had this real hard conversation with him where she said, "You got to practice harder, like you got to go, you got to go back at it. Like what did you what did you do that you know like that that led to this? Not not like in a shaming way. Mm-hmm. She was like, "Don't feel so sorry for yourself. Like if you want this, you're gonna have to work for it. What can you learn from this?" And and that's it right there, right? Like it wasn't like, oh, like we tell that story. Like they were so silly for cutting Michael Jordan. No, he wasn't good. He wasn't good enough. And uh, this is – these are these pivot points in life when we run into an obstacle. And I think failure teaches us two things. One, it teaches us that the direction that we're headed in uh, possibly wasn't the right direction and we've got to pivot. We've got to turn a little bit and head in a slightly different direction, not you know go back to – square one or start over or give up. We just have to turn a little bit and then start heading in a new direction. Or it teaches us that um, the way in which we were trying to achieve our goal, there was something flawed about it. We were doing it the wrong way, which is kind of an internal pivot where you change your motivation or you know your practice regimen or, or whatever you're doing. But I think that Failure doesn't keep you from getting to where you want to go. It actually helps you along the way. And, and as you mentioned, you discover things. You learn things that you shouldn't be doing. Or uh, in my case, I learned that some of the ways I was trying to become a writer because I'd been trying to do it for like seven years, they were just the wrong ways to do it. And so I had to you know, have this sort of internal pivot where I wanted that goal and I eventually reached that goal of becoming a full-time writer. But the way I was going about doing it was um, all wrong. And so the power of a pivot is is huge. But the only way that we can... Uh, make that move, and I know you're, you know, basketball player. Uh, you know, the only way that we can uh, make that move is is to really kind of assess our situation, be honest about where am I, you know, on the so-called, you know, court, um, and uh, what are my options available. And I love the idea of a pivot because when you've exhausted all of your options, um, you know, and those who aren't familiar with basketball, you know, you're dribbling down the court, mm-hmm. and you you stop. As you know, Jonathan, you're out of options, it seems, right? But you still have one move. If you've planted one foot, you can move 360 degrees in any direction and then you know pass the ball or take the shot depending on hmm. where you are on the court. And that's a beautiful move. You don't have to give the ball up. You don't have to quit. Uh, you can kind of continue the game that you're playing. But something, at that pivot point, something has to change because you've run into an obstacle that you can't overcome just by sheer tenacity. And uh, I, I don't love failure, but I love the lessons that we learn when we fail. It's, it's the only way that we get to success. Yeah, absolutely. I also love, Jeff, that you tackle the 10,000-hour 10, rule in the book. And, you know, society's 10,000-hour rule says that if you just do something for 10,000 hours, you'll become good at it. You talk about in the book that's simply not true. Can you debunk that myth for us? Right, so you know, I um, I I believe that uh, your calling is not necessarily something that will come easy to you. That it will take practice. It will be hard won, uh, but that um, at the same time you can practice the wrong thing. As I mentioned with my friend, who feels like she keeps succeeding at the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, when people talk about the ten thousand hour rule, and Malcolm Gladwell really popularized this in his book, 
uh, outliers. But what some people don't realize is that he's quoting this study, um, that, you know, an older study by a guy named Kay Anders Erickson from the University of Florida, uh, who basically studied all of these musicians and uh, who were experts at their craft and realized that the common denominator amongst all these musicians <clears throat> was that they had 10,000 hours worth of practice. Uh, but the 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 full sort of you know research study on that um, it goes a lot deeper than that. It, basically, K. Anders Erickson talks about the 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 theory of deliberate practice, and he says these people engage in what he calls deliberate practice, at which is um, really there's there's three criteria that you have to satisfy. One of which is hours, and he sort of characterizes that as context. Like you have to have the right place, the right equipment, uh, you know, the right the you know right. Uh, environment in which to practice, and then including that, you have to have um, you know a, a enough hours. But in addition to that, you have to do the activity to the point of uh, utter exhaustion, and you have to um, uh, you you have to do you have to do the activity in a way that it's not inherently motivating. So, in other words, uh, it's really hard, and you have to practice a whole lot. Um, uh, it can't be fun, and you have to do it to the point that you can no longer do it, and then get up tomorrow and do it again and again. And uh, I, I think that that sort of recharacterizes the way that we, quote unquote, chase our passion, where it's going to be fun all the time and exciting. And mm-hmm. I hear a lot of people talk about, I don't want to do that for a living because it wouldn't be fun anymore. And that's absolutely true for 99% of your hobbies and ideas and passions that you want to chase. I do not think it's true for your, for your calling. And so practice is not just a means of getting good at something. It's a means of trying activities that could be your true calling, your true vocation, the thing that you're meant to do. And if you get to that point where it's no longer fun and, and you kind of hate it uh, as opposed to it's no longer fun and you love it, which is how I feel when I'm uh, writing. Like um, it's not inherently motivating, but it's still exciting, right? Like hmm. the, activity, the activity of writing is not, is not fun. Uh, but I, I love that feeling of, of I'm doing something great, even though it's exhausting and, and hard. Um, uh, so, you know, practice is that means of not just um, getting good at something. It's also the means of figuring out, is this something that I should be doing um, in, in the first place? And I, I think that we, we misunderstand practice a lot when, when we don't understand, you know, those things. Yeah. And, you know, also the the our work environment is changing and i've seen it change and it's continuing to change and it's we know and many people should know by now that it's it's not you know go get a job you 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 find you here's where uh we were you know 15 20 years ago it was go to college find a good secure job stay there for 50 years get your gold watch and you know, that's the secure route. And the work environment's changing today. You know, I remember a quote from a guy named Tony Wagner that really resonated with me. And this was, I think I read it a couple of years ago. And he, he made a statement and his statement was, my generation had it easy. We got to find a job. But more than ever, our kids will have to invent a job. And mm-hmm. in the book, you talk about um, this you know, where things are headed, the next generation. And I guess my question is, why will the next generation have to be more entrepreneurial or at least flexible than ever before? So um, I love that quote. I think that's, I think that's absolutely true. Um, the days of you finding a job out of college and working for some organization or company for 40 years and then retiring and playing golf for the rest of your life uh, those days are gone. 
mm-hmm. if they if they ever existed in the first place, which I'm I'm not sure they did, except for you know a certain <laughs> demographic of of people. Um, but um, but it just the world doesn't work that way. Like organizations don't aren't around for forty years anymore. I mean, it's you know it's it's very unlikely that that's you know going to be the future. Um, and uh, I I read this book a while ago called. Um, the Age of Unreason by a guy named Charles Handy, and in that book, it's an older business book. He's an Irish um, like business author and philosopher. Talks a lot about organizations and organizational structure. And in that book, uh, which was published in 1989, he predicts the future of organizations, and he uh, coins this term that I love called the portfolio life. Uh, and he basically says that in the future. Uh, we're not going to have these big organizations anymore. Organiza- organizations are going to get smaller, and what's more is individuals are not going to work are, are not going to want to work for one business or job for the rest of their lives. They're going to kind of piecemeal these careers together, where they work somewhere for five years and somewhere else for ten years, and it's going to be this portfolio of careers that create you know kind of your your body of of work. And he says this is the way it's going to work. Now, what's interesting about that is, I mean, that's a, I don't know, that's kind of a bold prediction in 1989 where you were seeing kind of the rise of the knowledge worker and that sort of thing. It was still pretty cutting edge. Now, uh, we're seeing the writing on the wall. In fact, um, we're seeing this come true in our lifetime. Forbes published a study not too long ago uh, basically um, uh, saying that the way trends are going, that by the year 2020, half of the population uh, is going to be freelance, half of the workforce. And then by 2030, it's going to be well over half. It's going to be the majority of, of people in, in, the, um, in the workforce, uh, in the you know, job market. Um, they're going to be freelancers, which means they're going to have multiple gigs. They're not going to have one full-time deal. They're going to be you know, 1099 employees with, you know, at least in the U.S., with a bunch of different, bunch of different gigs. And, uh, and, and so Handy says, we need to be ready for this future. We need to start treating our work as a portfolio. As Instead of doing one thing, it's many things that all complement each other. And he says, and I agree with this, that um, this is actually the way we're wired. Like I'm not just wired to do one thing for 40 years. I'm wired to have a bunch of different interests and find a way for those to kind of fit together in an interesting and unique way that that makes me and my work stand out and also, you know, is is um, you know personally fulfilling for me. So it's cool about that is all that's coming true in our lifetime and uh, those who are ready for it I think are going to be on the cutting edge and those who are not are going to um, they're going to have a lot of catching up to do. So true. And I know when when that became a revelation to me, a portfolio life, it like it 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 didn't discourage me. It like um, woke me up. I became suddenly fully alive that I didn't have to 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 just choose this one thing and do it for the rest of my life with one particular company. I remember not too long after I graduated college, um, I was trying to figure this thing out. You know, it's like I graduated going in a certain direction. I thought this was the plan that I was going to take and. It, it turned out that that wasn't really, I was unsettled. And I remember my wife sitting down with me and she said, Jonathan, she goes, I don't see you just heading in a plotted path in one area. She goes, I know you well, you're going to end up weaving from here to there to over to this and throughout your lifetime. Now, it may not be every year you're changing jobs, but I see you much more of weaving in and out. And that was her way to describe it to me. And I was like, you know, you're exactly right. And that took the pressure off of me 
um, to just begin to walk down the path and and begin looking for areas of where I came full alive, fully alive, like we talked about earlier, finding out where the world's needs are, where are the you know the areas that I believe that maybe I'm gifted in or that I have some talent to bring and making that match. And so that's what I appreciate about uh, that chapter on portfolio living and just your overall perspective on that. Well, kind of wrapping this up, Jeff, uh, your book uh, at the time of this recording is about to come out. It's not out just yet. But how can people connect with this book, get a copy of this book, and how can they connect with you? Yeah, well, first of all, thank you for the work that you do, and um, thanks for, for having me on as a part of this. I'm honored to you know, be a part of your um, community, and um, I've followed the work that you've done for you know, a long time and really appreciate how you um, have connected you know, your skills and passions with you know, the needs of the world, and I love how you help other people do that. Um, so thank you for that. Um, yeah, uh, we're doing a, a really cool, you know, promotion, um, where if you go to artofworkbook.com slash Jonathan, this is just for your listeners, Jonathan, um, uh, something special that we're doing, uh, you know, for a handful of partners and you're one of those people, um, go there and before March 23rd, you can do it through the end of the day, March 23rd. And um, you can get a free copy of this book, like a free real paperback copy of this book if you uh, pay shipping and handling. And, uh, and that's for people in the U.S. and Canada. There's also a great offer for you know, international people uh, as well. If you do that, you're going to get um, over $250 worth of bonuses, including this free online video course that I just did uh, that walks through the four mindset shifts that you need to um, – Find your calling, which is something that I believe a lot in, and I've heard you talk about before, Jonathan. You know, I think mindset is so important. Anyway, um, that's something that we're doing for a limited time. Obviously, the book will be you know around after that. Uh, but if you're listening to this before that that time, would love for you to go grab the book, and you can find out more about me all at that link, artofworkbook.com/slash/jonathan. And we'll put that link in the show notes, and I'd encourage you guys to go grab it. And again, you know, I was able to get an advanced reader's copy, sat down, read it within a week, marked it up, and it's been a great read for me. So thanks for taking the time and effort and energy of, of putting a book together, um, me just completing one. Uh, I know it takes a lot of energy and effort, and you're right. It's exciting at the same time. It's work, and it takes a lot of energy and effort. So thank you for that, Jeff. Thank you so much, Jonathan. Uh, It was my pleasure. Awesome. Take care. Thanks again.